It's November 5th, 2014. Little Elsa's the world over are belting their best let it go covers. Gwyneth Paltrow and Chris Martin are only months into humanity's first conscious uncoupling. And following a last place result in that year's Sochi games, American curler John Schuster has just gotten the news that he's been dropped from the U.S.'s high performance program, a program he helped create. Not there. Schuster comes up just short. He can't believe it and break When you don't perform on, on the biggest stage like the Olympics, there's definitely some backlash. Oh, and millions of smartphone users are wondering what this U2 album is suddenly doing on their device. So you could say it was a turbulent time, but it's a Canadian reality TV show, of all things, that will spin this turbulence into a full-blown storm in the centuries-old world of curling. A scandal that will challenge this sport's rules, relationships, and competitive landscape. Next into the den. Hurry hard! Hard line! Yeah, so this is our uh, our Dragon's Den appearance. So Dragon's Den is a CBC program that, uh, much like Shark Tank in the States. These two entrepreneurs are aiming for a clean sweep with what they claim is a revolutionary curling product. Entrepreneurs go on the show and try and get an investment from, you know, people with lots of money. <laughs> the product that we went on the Dragon's Den with is called uh, the Ice Pad. And this is the Ice Pad, the lightest, most efficient brush on the planet. Everybody was pretty much using the same broom for the last 20, 25 years. I mean, there was zero innovation going on. I will do it, but I want a $10 royalty until I get my money back and a $5 after that. Super fast. fast. It moves fast. Do you see how light it is? Yeah. I'd go in with David on that deal. On what will become the biggest selling brush in curling. Famous last words, I'll always say it. Very good, we'll take your deal then. Done. Thank you so much. That really like opened up Pandora's box completely. You know, the first guy through the door always gets bloody. It all centers around high-tech fabrics used in curling brooms. The tool will affect the extent of the direction, like how much extra curl or straightening you can get. Brooms continue to be a percolating controversy here at the Masters. Uh, Both of these teams switching to this hardline broom this season. Performance enhancing brooms. Today on the podium, disruptors and innovators who had the stones to change curling's status quo. A game of big risk and golden results. From NBC Sports, this is The Podium a podcast about the 2022 Beijing Winter Olympic Games. As we near February, we'll bring you the stories from snow and from ice that shape the pursuit of gold. I'm your host, Lauren Shahadi, and over the 12 weeks leading up to the opening ceremony, we'll dive into a facet of these games to discover the people and the places that will define them. It's all the way back in the 16th century that medieval Scots took to frozen ponds and lakes, slid granite stones, and invented curling. The world has obviously changed incredibly since then. But curling, known as the Roaring Game, is remarkably similar. Curling is 
a sport, honestly, that kind of is is built around camaraderie. And I think that stems from the very beginning of the sport is that it was played on ponds, you know, and essentially as far back as the 14 and 1500s where, you know, it was soldiers that were looking for a way to get through the winters when they're not fighting or protecting a, a castle or something. Yeah, it's it's evolved a little bit, but it's still sticking to its roots built around sportsmanship and camaraderie. Stand up, America. Your team, John Schuster, Tyler George, Matt Hamilton, John Landsteiner, are Olympic curling champions. John Schuster from the USA Curling. John Schuster, you're ready to go. Recently punched your ticket to Beijing. Fifth Winter Olympic Games for you. That is crazy. I want to start the story today at the very basic level. What keeps people like you coming back to curling? So our curling is a very tight-knit community. And I think that's, you know, the thing that makes our sport unique. Uh, But obviously throughout, you know, the last 500 years, it's evolved a lot too. Whereas it started probably with like cannonballs that were melted and squished and turned into these curling stones that now are you know, they use one type of granite for the part that touches the ice and they, another type of granite is involved in the rock where they contact each other because the bounce is better. So yeah, it's it's evolved a little bit, but it's still sticking to its roots. But that camaraderie that they had during games has really continued through our sport. And we're playing against other teams uh, throughout the world. And, and really after you get done playing a curling game, you get up, go upstairs or go, you know, off the ice and, and sit down with the other team and and honestly, you know, chat, get to know them, you know, get to networking kind of thing. And, and yeah, and you become really good friends. A sport built around a post-game drink, something I can get behind. It sounds like it hits the spot, which, which is also what curlers are trying to do, right? Or in this case, hit the smallest curling target, the button. Tell us about this team's aspect. You say we play. Who's we? I mean, we in curling is, uh, is a team. And because curling is a one of those sports where every player affects every shot uh, throughout the game, because there's a person who delivers a stone or throws it and slides it down the ice, and everybody does that twice every end. And in a curling team, the lead throws the first two stones, the second throws the next two stones, the vice skipper third throws the next two, and then the skip throws the last two stones of, that a team throws. And when you're not throwing, the other members of the team are sweeping and when the skip isn't throwing, he's calling the shots, calling the line, um, you know, doing the strategy part of it. It's you will never usually hear me speak about I, I, I in the sport of curling because it really is a true team sport where every single player, even though one person is delivering a stone, is every player affects every shot throughout the course of a game. Yeah, the sweeping. That's something we're going to explore a lot later in the episode. On the subject, though, of tradition in curling. I want to bring in the guys from Hardline Curling, you know, from reality TV. Hello, dragons. Today we're here to sweep you off your feet. (laughs) My name is Archie Manavian. This is Stan Fong. We're both from Hardline Curling based out of Montreal. And this is the ice pad, the lightest, most efficient brush on the planet. Stanley Fong. Archie Manavian. Harach. Manavian. (laughs) Harach Manavian. You said just the name. <laughs> Say name, last name. I thought they were doing it wrong. <laughs> Harachmanavian. Hello to all three of you and welcome. Thanks so much for the time. Before we get too far into your story, I'm so curious about the traditions 
of curling because I think we're starting to get a picture of a game with pretty rooted, rich traditions. Tell me more. Well, as far as traditions go, I mean, there's been, there's like clubs that have been around for over a hundred years. You know, we have uh, just here, Lachine, Royal Montreal, they've been around since. Royal Montreal has been around since 1807. It's the oldest sports club in North America. Right. And it's just, you know, traditions, you, there's, there's events that we have with Scotland and Canada, where a certain group of Canadian players will go over to Scotland, spend a week, drink scotch, <laughs> play curling. And then the next year they'll come over here and we'll host them, you know, things like that. I keep hearing the word drinks. <laughs> Who's picking up the tap? That always gets the competition going. Is it you, Stan? <laughs> uh, so before the game, you know, pre, pre-pandemic, a tradition is you, you start the game by shaking the opponent's hand. You, you know, you wish them a good game, good curling, and then uh, you try and beat them. And then after the game, the winners uh, buy the first round of drinks, you drink, and then the losers reciprocate. You're basically sitting there for a couple of hours having beer with, you know, eight other people. And then next week you're playing another team. So there's another eight people that you might meet. So if somebody's new to this and joining a club at the end of the year, you're basically meeting a hundred people brand new. And then the club itself has parties and whatever. So it's a, it's a great atmosphere to do a sport. So, there's a tradition of sportsmanship. There's no umpires. You call your own. If you, for example, when you're sweeping a rock, you can't touch the rock. If you by chance touch it, you call it on yourself. So there's a certain etiquette. What about the rocks themselves? I, I hear those have quite a bit of heritage as well. Well, from what I understand, there's a, a granite island in Scotland where all the stone comes from that has this blue hone granite. And unfortunately, you cannot get any more. That's wild. So all curling stones come from this one island. That's the only place you can get them. What else? You talk about sweeping. I mean, obviously, like for people who don't know curling, a curling rock curls. So it doesn't go straight. So as it's curling... The sweeper kind of continues to sweep on, on one side to prevent it from curling. So a lot of times, since it's a chess match, you're trying to hide rocks behind other rocks. The sweeping it prevents it from kind of curling. It's still going to curl, but it's going to curl less. And that's why communication is important between the skip and the sweepers. And at the same time, if you're light, let's say you throw, you're supposed to throw it at a certain point, but you throw it a little less than to get it. Two sweepers sweeping hard will make, it, will make that rock go further. So sweeping is an essential part of curling. I mean, they used to use house brooms, the, you know, the old straw house brooms, and they went to corn, and then they went to, like, big pads. And um, broom-wise, it has changed incredibly, but everybody was pretty much using the same broom for the last 20, 25 years, right? There's no equipment rules. There was zero innovation going on. There was zero in- in- innovation because there was... You know, people thought that uh, they, this is it. yeah, yeah, this is it. You're not going to get any better. And there was no desire to innovate anymore. It was just, okay, well, let's just use this and keep going and keep going until the new kid showed up and the new kid, you know, came out with a new and better product and everybody panicked. So, 
So what is the ice pad and how does it compare to other brushes of its day? If you're talking about the original brushes, I mean, the ice pad is definitely by far the most effective brush in curling. Because you're sweeping more with less energy, you're getting more effect out of the rock. It's super easy. There's very little resistance. So it's, it's just such an easier sweep. And most of the time, most of the comments that come back to us before I used to have shoulder pains, I used to get tired. Your broom is just amazing. It's, it's kind of like there's no uh, resistance whatsoever or effort whatsoever. You know, a lot of products that's been, that was on the market before, it's kind of, they get dirty pretty easily. So you have to switch them up all the time and you need to keep buying it. Ours is kind of waterproof. You can wash it directly under broom. It lasts for a really long time and it's less expensive at the same time. So easier to sweep. That sounds good, I guess. Because there's less resistance, as Haraj mentioned before, you're able to sweep faster to generate more heat on the ice so that it affects the rock much better. Okay, so could I sweep enough to turn the ice into water or no? Well, when you say water, that's like a yeah, major yeah. exaggeration. Yeah, because water, water actually will slow down a rock because... It's just going to be a minute heating of the ice to, to have it glide further. So in 2014, is this broom out already? Correct. At this point, we've probably been selling the ice pad for two years. And then we just started trying to pitch it to professional teams. And professional teams um, are either contracted with other suppliers and or reluctant to try new products without seeing any benefit. So we gave our brushes to teams to try out and the feedback was really good. Um, but at that time, you know, most of the teams were, were contracted and couldn't switch. But we had signed on Mike McEwen, Reed Carruthers, Savannah Tiranzoni, John Schuster. Uh, those were basically the first four teams. So after that first year, McEwen had one of the best years ever on tour using our brush. They had won eight events, they had a record of like you know, 85 and 12 or something like that. So it just exploded. Everybody saw Mike win with this new broom. Schuster stays hot. The United States gets its deuce to tie it up. We're on Dragon's Den. Very good. We'll take your deal then. That's when it wasn't a snowball effect. It was an avalanche that came down. I mean, I, I recall sitting there at the club. We were having a party because we knew what what happened on the Dragon's Den, because we had taped it a few months earlier. And as we're watching it, the phone just wouldn't stop uh, beeping with orders. It was, it was crazy. Wow. I, that's the dream, right? And really making your mark. It sounds like your dreams are coming true before your eyes. Famous last words, I'll always say it. We had said that um, last year we got on the map. This year we are the map. And people were noticing the brush that we were that our teams were using, and wondering like they saw things on the ice. Like how is that happening? You know. And, and over the summer, you know, we found out that through Reed and, and Mike that there was some feedback coming from the other players and other companies that our brush was too good. On October the 7th, we had an update episode on the Dragon's Den. 
where how things were going, how the company was exploding, and that's when Broomgate started. We were promoting it like mad. So they knew what was coming and how much more we were gonna explode if they didn't do something to stop our sales. This had nothing to do with, with manipulating rocks or, or anything like that. This had to do with stopping our sales dead in its tracks. The teams from one particular manufacturer started saying, this broom is too good. And at an event, they came out with this, they called it the Frankenstein broom. It was a broom where when, when you swept it, it actually created a thing where the rock basically followed it, all right? Like they basically said that the ice pad is too good. And if you're not gonna stop using that, we're gonna use this. Finally, it's, it came to a point where there were so much things going on that they decided to do testing. And they decided, the WCF basically said, we're gonna get all the players together. This is the w, the World Curling Federation. They're responsible for all of curling worldwide. We're gonna get all the brooms together and we're gonna test all the brooms. And that's what they did. There was so many news reports and postings and announcements that everybody got confused. You know, everybody was like, oh, well, what can I use? What can't I use? Why is this uh, not, not, you know, legal? It, it was just, and people were coming to me, oh, you guys are the... Uh, the cheater brooms. Yeah, exactly. It was just a bad time in curling uh, for everybody involved. I mean, not just us, the players that used our equipment. Uh, you know, when you have like a 65-year-old uh, woman phoning me to tell me, you know, I've been curling for 40 years and some first-year curler just oh, called yeah. me a cheater <laughs> because I'm using your broom. You know, that was really, really... It, 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 wasn't what, it wasn't what curling is all about. There was a lot of hard feelings because there's people pointing fingers trying to accuse people of cheating. There were people that said some pretty like awful things like making accusations and that kind of thing. You know, when you're in battle, and honestly, like, we spend a lot of time and money and resources, all of us do, and traveling and playing, and there's a lot at stake. And, you know, that was, it was a really difficult time. Around the same time as hardline curling was grappling with the full force of Broomgate, American curler John Schuster was hitting his own low. John, you had a battle going on that was completely unrelated to equipment, one that actually begins with you winning the U.S.'s first curling medal as a vice skit. The 2006 Olympics, I was at that point, in my mind, just a child, <laughs> still in college. Um, you know, it was, that's the kid in the candy store experience when you're at your first Olympic Games and walking through that opening ceremonies was still to this day, one of the greatest experiences of my life. And we came out and played great. We weren't by world standards expected to medal and and we found ourselves playing great and in the playoff mix and, and coming away with the bronze medal. And I remember standing on the podium in 2006 and that particular Olympics, the medal ceremony was at Medals Plaza uh, in, in Turin. And, uh, and it was crazy grandeur. And I remember getting the medal and having it be like the greatest moment in my life. John Schuster. They handed out silver medals to Finland and gold medals to Canada. And, then played Canada's national anthem, and I realized that that wasn't my dream to stand on an Olympic podium. My dream was actually to stand on top of the podium. You know, so I, I realized I wanted to skip again and, and actually, like, have that responsibility and that job. And, and, 
you know, built a team looking towards the 2010 Olympics and, and I, we obviously did it and we won the trials, uh, in 2009 and we had a full year to prepare for the 2010 Olympics. And when we got to the 2010 Olympics again, you know, that expectation since we had a bronze medal in 2006, uh, came with, you know, that expectation of potentially doing it again. And so we got to the Olympics and we lost our first game, I think, to Germany and kind of missed that. But then we played Norway and kind of controlled the game. And, and I had a draw to the touch the forefoot to beat them in the extra end. And, and I threw it about a foot heavy and, and we lost that game. And the next game, we had a couple last shots to beat Switzerland. And I, we ended up being a tiny bit short on my last draw in the 10th end. And and then missed my last one in the extra end and then lost to Denmark. Back-to-back losses against Japan and Norway. In particular, Skip John Schuster struggled with his... The 2014 Olympics, same deal where we went 2-7 and again. So at this point, the U.S. has come near or at the bottom in two straight winter games, right? Yeah, and that was kind of what USA Curling's like, well, you know, John Schuster doesn't have it, so we're going to move on from him. And how did they move on from you? So following the 2014 Olympics, up until that point, uh, us as curlers were responsible for assembling teams as we best saw fit. And following the 2014 games, uh, that process changed within USA Curling where they now had a combine where they assessed athletes and, you know, looked at past results and where people currently were. And that was following that season that they didn't include me in the national team moving forward. And, uh, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, when, when you represent the United States of America in any sport, no matter how good or bad you're supposed to be, when uh, when you don't perform on, on the biggest stage like the, the Olympics, there's definitely some backlash. And I think, honestly, part of, part of getting essentially not chosen was USA Curling trying and honestly, maybe even like, you know, submitting to public opinion from people who aren't even around our sport that, you know, you know I personally didn't have it or wasn't the best we could find. It must have been so incredibly tough to, to be at the mercy of a bunch of forces inside or outside of curling trying to stop you. I mean, in the words of the hardline guys. But in, but in this office, the, <laughs> the F-bombs were flying, I'll say that. <laughs> uh, you know what, though? This is the thing is I actually met with, I mean, I, I, was, I worked hand in hand and honestly, it was probably the toughest thing about not being included in that plan is I worked hand in hand with our national coaching staff in what I thought we needed to do differently and better moving forward to give ourselves a better chance to be competitive. And I really helped build that model. And then to not be included in that model that I felt like I helped build was that was the devastating part for me because I, I knew we were going to do things better. Their success behind them and excluded from the means that allowed them to excel. Hardline Curling and John Schuster found themselves between a rock and, well, another rock. It's interesting when you don't get included and something changes in a sport like ours, which is very grassroots where people are used to um, are used to self-form teams. Uh, we actually all of a sudden went from, you know, it's, it's really easy to not cheer for the, the top dogs, but we went all of a sudden we're carrying the torch for all these teams that had formed their, themselves. And we, we probably honestly grew our fan base that year because of the fact that we are seen potentially as slighted uh, by USA Curling. 
the great part about our sport is just because you're not included in the national team doesn't mean you can't win your way there. And that's exactly, you know, what that team did moving forward. And what team is that? The sporting public call this team reject. So um, because we were theoretically the rejects from the USAI performance program at the time. But it's one of those things like Matt loves that kind of stuff, like having a name. He went hard after, you know, our national coaching says, I'm going to spend the next four years proving you wrong. And so like that, that nickname for him, you know, team reject was really something I think he embraced and, and we embraced it because we had a lot of fun with it. And as a team, you did prove them wrong, right? I mean, the rejects qualified for the 2018 Olympics. Um, Yeah, it was, it was an uphill battle at the beginning. So that first year that we got left off the national team, we were 11 and one against the two teams they chose. I mean, obviously we were going to, we were doing something just as well as they were. That was, that was one of my favorite years of curling. That's for sure. Incredible. So John, you make it all the way back. What about the hard line guys? Worldwide smear campaign. And that's when we said, I had told the guys when all hell was breaking loose, I said, when this is all said and done, we are going to come out of this smelling like roses because we, we've done nothing wrong. I mean, we're being blamed for a lot of things. Stephen Colbert is making fun of us. But at the end of the day, we're going to come out of this looking good. Just got to hang in there. And we did. How so? How did you end up overcoming this upheaval and curling that your product was the catalyst for? At the time, it sucked. But I think we had so much support from so many people. Not one player, to my knowledge, any big player switched. They could have. They could have easily said, you know what? I don't need this. I'm going to switch over. They all said, no way. This, this, is, this is not happening. So what was the outcome? Were you outlawed? So they came out with the rules of what they did. Every single broom that's ever been invented since the start of curling over the last 200 years were, were banned. And now everybody had to use this fabric for uh, competitive play. And then in the recreational market, all the brooms kind of, they, they banned at Frankenstein broom. <laughs> that broom you can't use. And we felt vindicated when finally they did the testing and they realized that every single broom did the same thing and they banned everybody. I wish you were there at the room. Like you can hear a needle pin drop when, when they came up with the rules. Holy cow, that is tense. Almost as tense as what's about to happen to John Schuster in Pyeongchang. Welcome to the Olympic Winter Games, Pyeongchang 2018. We won the trials and, and had a lot of confidence going into the Olympics and won our first game, which, you know, for me, that was the first time as a skip that we had won our first game of the Olympic Games. So it kind of said, OK, well, this one's different, you know, than the last ones. And then we, you know, lost a game and lost another game. But then we won a game again and we're two and two. Um, and then we had a day where we were playing Japan and Norway, two teams that we had had a lot of success against in our time together as a team and and thought, OK, well, we win these two games and we can probably, you know, not have to go crazy against the last part of our schedule, which looked like, I mean, the gauntlet, because it was the last three games were Canada, Switzerland, and Great Britain. Some powerhouse curling nations, statistically not ones the U.S., let alone the U.S. rejects, can beat very often. In that day against Japan and Norway, I played very uh, not a very good game, and our team didn't play a great game against Japan, and we got killed. And, uh, and then we played Norway, and they had 
scratch the rocks in the middle of the day that day. And they were a little bit, you know, jumpy and, and I missed a very, very easy shot in the fifth end. And then in the sixth end, I threw a shot that gave them a shot to score three points that have had, I not even thrown mine. The most they could have got was two. And, and we found ourselves, you know, losing that game. And all of a sudden we're two and four and, you know, everybody put us out for dead. And, uh, and that was, that was where, you know, the, the story really begins. And like all good stories, it requires a little inspiration. And it's where we find both of our protagonists holding the same brush and hoping for the best. They were trying to figure out how to get me to not be essentially the guy who, who squandered, you know, two Olympics. Granted, I wouldn't call it that personally, but that's what public opinion probably is on it. That's one of the terms that I really hate is Broomgate. You know, we were, we were basically being attacked by everybody. I did some soul searching in the next day and, and saw something in the morning. It was just a random mini story that someone put together about Dan Jansen uh, and his Olympic story, which, you know, he said 10, whatever, 20 years ago on this day, Dan Jansen's, you know, sister, or it was the race after his sister passed away and he was a huge favorite and he fell and then, you know, his story fell again and underachieved at the next Olympics. You know, there's a there's a great scene in uh, in the movie Moneyball. I, I have to say this. <laughs> we watch it over and over again. It's the scene where uh, where Brad Pitt goes to meet the uh, GM of the Red Sox and uh, president of Red Sox, who's trying to hire him as GM. Oh, I thought, oh, okay, I knew that. <laughs> so, and uh, he talks about how you know the first guy through the door always gets bloody, and the very. His very last Olympic race was the thousand, which he wasn't supposed to medal in, and he broke a world record and ended up as, you know, winning Olympic gold. And I just think of Dan Jansen as an Olympic champion, even though I know he had a history of underperforming at the Olympics, but it just kind of that it that hit me that morning and and said, you know what, like we can still win our last three games and put ourselves potentially in a playoff picture if a couple other things go the right way. And this doesn't have to be my story, and that was kind of where you know, I decided that I all I could do is control what I could do. And he even said it in the movie. He said, you know, people don't want to change. You're threatening the way they do things. You know, it is it's it is what it is, uh, but they better change. I mean, it, you always have to innovate. And my teammates kind of supported me in that, and I demanded the best out of them the next game against Canada and came out and beat Canada, which the U.S. had never done at the Olympics before, so... Um, and then it kind of all went from there. The United States has won curling gold at the Olympics. And I think he battled back. He had to beat Canada four or five games. The way he battled back and just winning the gold, I mean, I, I lost it. I mean, that was, I was up. It was, uh, I don't, it was up early in the morning and I lost it. I, I know I remember I uh, woke up my uh, wife at the same time <laughs> because I was screaming so loud. Five straight wins for Team USA against traditional world powers, including... So where do we stand now? John Schuster is the defending gold medalist and a hardline. How are they doing against the other brooms? I don't think we're winning. I think we're dominating. <laughs> and Our teams. Yeah. Our teams, our, our, our teams, teams are dominating. dominating. For example, every Grand Slam title was ours for men and women. We won both Olympic golds. We won the last four worlds i think the last three teams that still has yet to get decided they're all going to be hardline as well so we have a very good chance where 95 percent of the teams going to the olympics are going to be using hardline broom so we're 
obviously very happy about that and happy for our teams who work so hard to get there. And we're just, you know, we're a small part of it, but we're, we're happy to be part of it. What do you think the net effect has been of your impact on a sport that existed long before you put your own mark on it? I mean, if it wasn't for our broom, they wouldn't have come up with equipment rules. That's just the plain truth. So everybody'd still be using the same long, the same, the same broom. So I think we're very proud of our innovative approach. I've always tried to be an innovator when it comes to strategy and, and a student of the game where, you know, I'm always trying to learn, you know, new ways to, to help our team be successful. Cause that's part of the skip's job is to, to dictate strategy and tactics and, and to make those decisions on when to, when to employ those things. So, but I don't think, I don't really think that view myself much as a disruptor as, as much as maybe like an innovator. And what is that innovative approach mean for team Schuster team rejects chance in these 2022 winter games? I mean, it's, it really is right now, probably this will be the toughest Olympics to win of any that have ever been played. You know, curling is such a, such a sport. I mean, we're mic'd up. Everybody gets to see who we are as people as we're playing the sport we're playing. And yeah, and I think, you know, watching watching the game go and, and seeing how the teams, especially our team, like communicate and treat each other on the ice and, and battle, it's that's really what I think what has made our sport so awesome. It's a great atmosphere to do a sport, um, be part of something kind of fun, something where you can you can be good just athletically kind of kind of keep improving on something, but at the same time, have a, having a good time. It's just, I recommend it to anybody who plays. As for those post-game drinks, well, there is still some controversy in Schuster's world. Not around a broom, but a beer called Spotted Cow, which some say is too good. I was a bartender and that Spotted Cow is, uh, yeah, is not allowed in Minnesota, so... That is, it's a huge controversy that, that Spotted Cow can't be put in bars across state lines outside of Wisconsin. So there's plenty of people that, that demand it, but everybody pretty knows that Wisconsin keeps that for themselves. Never a dull moment in curling. The roaring game, indeed. That's it for this week's episode of The Podium. Follow now wherever you're currently listening to get automatic downloads. For more Olympic content ahead of the 2022 Winter Games, check out NBCOlympics.com. And starting February 4th, tune into the networks of NBC. NBC.